Well, good morning. Glad you're with us this morning. God of all seasons, hurricane season. Yes, yeah, yeah. That that's uh, that's not just a flippant question because I think when people experience disaster and loss, there can be a, a genuine. Hey, where is God in the midst of this? In fact. My neighbor came down the street Monday afternoon after the storm had started to subside a little bit, and he said, I just want to know what, the, what you're going to talk about Sunday morning after something like this. And so there can be the thought that God is absent, and we trust him that he is a good God, and that's why this morning, really, all that we did in terms of our worship was to lift up that we have a God in whom we can put our trust and our hope. He is, loves us, and he's a, a good heavenly father. But it's been a crazy 10 days, has it not? And so I think sometimes the setup, the nonstop listening to the setup is almost as stressful as then the, the cleanup afterwards. But lots of opportunity for neighbortude, number one, hopefully that you took an opportunity for that. Number two, one of the things I absolutely love about the chapel is that people initiated with us saying, hey, if there's a need, let us know. Either we'd like to help or our family group would like to help. People have been so gracious to say, we haven't been impacted as much as others. Let us help. And so if you have a need this morning and you could use some help, please don't hesitate to go by the impact gazebo out in the courtyard and let us know. There are, in fairness, if you have a massive tree on your house, that's probably above the volunteer pay grade that we're talking about, okay? And I'm serious there. There are some things that professionals should do. But if there, it's merely a matter of some volunteers that could do some labor to help, then let us know. We would like to, but we can't if we don't know. So uh, let us know today over at the Impact Gazebo. I want you to third know that tonight from 5.30 to 7.30 over in the South Auditorium, there will be an opportunity to be trained in some trauma counseling. Doug McCary is going to be leading some training over there this evening. So if you would like some training in how do you engage your neighbors, your coworkers, what do you say, what don't you say in the aftermath of something like this, that training's being offered tonight. Finally, I want to acknowledge that in the midst of the preparation and, and then the storm and the aftermath, I kept attempting to remind myself of the truth that we talk about in here. Uh, a few weeks ago when we went through Jesus encountering cowards in the face of the storm, I shared with you an article called Therapeutic Theology written by Robertson McQuilkin. And uh, I went back to that article a, a few times because he writes in here, uh, I realized that when I worried about my impossible circumstances, and he names three, death, illness, storms, I was calling into question the character of God. Am I really smarter than God to know what's best? Is he truly impotent in the face of my impossible circumstances? Or maybe he just doesn't care that much about me. And then he says, what blasphemy. I may not know what God's purpose is in sending or permitting difficulty in my life, 
but that he has a purpose, I'm confident. And a God with, listen, a wisdom to know what's best for me, love to choose that best, and power to carry it through, I can trust. I can never be a victim except a victim of God's love. And then this sentence, self-pity can't even get a hearing. Self-pity get a hearing this week at all? It, it, it can be at a time where we see what's going on. And especially if you compare one situation to another, sometimes self-pity gets a hearing. And so it was a strong reminder to me. No place for self-pity. Not a victim. Unless I'm a victim of God's love. Did you hear? Wisdom to know what's best. Love to choose that best. And power to carry it out. That's a God that we can trust. But sometimes his choosing and what he's doing can be hard and long. We're going to look at this morning an encounter with Jesus that we'll see a woman that it would appear and it seem like she is hopeless. And I've been thinking about how does someone get to hopelessness? And maybe you can relate to this. I don't think hopelessness is like a light switch. It simply flips on and off. You're fine and then flip a switch and you're hopeless. It's more like a dimmer switch. You have a dimmer switch in your house with the, the old ones with the knob, not the cool little slides, but the knob where you turn it down. And, and as you turn it, it goes dimmer and dimmer. That's a better picture of how hopelessness sets in for folks. It's a case where it seems like from every angle we get no's, and life just brings more no's and more hard and more no's. And it's like the light is just continuing to disappear until we feel like all is bleak. We don't go from yay to hopelessness. It's over time in the pattern of no's. Can you relate to that? I see that happening in this woman. The encounter is in Mark chapter 5. And I'm going to read for us first two verses. Mark chapter 5, verses 25 and 26. The two verses in this encounter. And it captures this woman's current state. It says in verse 25, A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. That's a bleak picture. When you think about her situation, it's not that something just is hard. She is a bleeding uterus. It's that it's been hard for a long time. It's one thing to be ill. It's another thing to be ill for a long time. It's one thing to experience pain. It's totally another thing to experience chronic, what seems to be like never-ending pain. 
There's a, a downward spiral that happens for this woman where it, it seems like life continues to give her no, 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 no. The dimmer switch gone towards off. She has, in the text, no name given. She obviously has a name, but interestingly, the text doesn't give her a name. That becomes significant as we move through the text. No name given. There's no cure. It's not that she hasn't tried. She's tried everything she possibly could. She has, it says, suffered greatly at the hands of many physicians. In other words, she has gone from one ray of hope to another ray to another ray. All of them have come up empty. No cure. The only thing it's left her with is no money. So that's a bad place. You've tried every option, and now if a new option even came to light, you wouldn't have any money money to exercise it. And the net result is the verse ends, she's not better, she's worse. Ken Geyer, who writes a devotional called Moments with the Savior, captures how a physical ailment or a physical problem can impact all of life. He says, God only knows how much she suffered, speaking of this passage. She's lived with a bleeding uterus for 12 humiliating years. She's been labeled unclean by the rabbis and subjected to the Levitical prohibitions, unable to touch others or to be touched ostracized by the synagogue, orphaned by society, and orphaned by God, or so she thinks. She's prayed, she's pleaded, but for 12 agonizing years, God's been silent. Trudging from doctor to doctor, she's tried to find a place to lay her burden down. The doctors have filled her mind with hopes and her body with folk remedies, but in the end, the only thing they relieved her of was her money. She's destitute now, and being out of money, the doctors finally admit there's nothing they can do for her. Her life is ebbing away. The steady loss of blood over the years has taken its toll. She's anemic, pale, and tired. So very, very tired. She's tired of the shame, tired of the stigma, tired of the charlatans. God only knows how much she suffered. You see, what I appreciate about his thoughtful engagement in that text is you begin to feel the hopelessness of a real person. Very rarely is a physical problem isolated to simply physical pain. It ebbs its way out, with no pun intended here. It bleeds its way into all the other arenas of our lives. It impacts us relationally. It impacts what we can then do socially. It impacts what she is able to do 
spiritually. Thinking in our terms, she's not even allowed to go to church because she is ceremonially unclean. She can't be touched for 12 years. She's never experienced the touch of another person now. You see the downward spiral, hopelessness. But what, what captures me most about what he's written here is this line that he starts with and ends with, that God only knows how much she suffered. Because that's true this morning. God only knows how much you've suffered. Sometimes we tell other people when we're suffering, we want them to know so that they can maybe empathize with us or help us or do something. But other times there's type of suffering we don't want to share, we don't want to admit to because it's either embarrassing or humiliating. We don't want people to know. And only God knows what's going on in here. But she's at a place where what she has shared has been unable to help. And what God knows, he seems to have not done anything about it. I don't know where you may be personally. That's what really hit me about this text. As I thought about the 1,100 or so people that will come today. Inevitably, what do people talk about at work today? What do people talk about in the courtyard today? How much the hurricane impacted them. But in reality, only God knows how much you have suffered. And not just in the past 10 days, but maybe for 12 years. Only God knows what you've brought into this room this morning. And I want us to understand that hopelessness is not just in people's minds. It's very real for people. There's nowhere to turn. There's nothing to do. And it's not just idly dismissed. But to also acknowledge this morning that light is never as bright as when it's seen in the pitch black, which is what this text reveals. Light is never as bright as when we see it shine in pitch black. And verse 27 changes this woman's story. It says, after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I'll get well. See, this passage swings in this verse. This woman's Status in her life is dramatically changed here. And when does it change? When? Yeah, this is interesting. Some are going, when she touches his garment. Others are saying, when she hears about Jesus. And let's be incredibly crystal clear this morning. Everything changes. When? When she hears about Jesus. That's when it changes. When she hears about Jesus. What's interesting, it doesn't tell us who told her or how she heard. It's just that in her 
downward spiral of when she's at rock bottom, when she has nowhere to turn, somewhere, somehow, somebody, maybe they were there and they had experienced Jesus, maybe they had heard about him, but somewhere, somehow, somebody speaks about Jesus and she hears. And when she hears of Jesus, only God knows how much she suffered, but she goes, hope. I have a ray of hope. And it all turns right here. She hears. And she not only hears, what else does she do? She believes. This, this hopeless woman hears and she believes. Now, how do I know she believes? <laughs> because she says it, number one. Because she says, if I touch his garment, I'll be healed. She says it, but she actually acts on what she hears. Her believing is not just words. She goes and finds Jesus and not only finds him, then approaches Jesus, not like Jairus did. It gives us a picture of how she felt and what she thought about herself, that she doesn't, like Jairus, that we looked at two weeks ago, run up and get in front of Jesus on her knees. She sneaks in from behind, reaching through the crowd, and touches his garment. She finds him, she approaches him, and she touches him. Now, I should, if you want to, Write it accurately, I should add there, touches Jesus' garment. She doesn't Why didn't she touch Jesus? She's not allowed. She's not allowed. Not because she's, he said you can't, because rabbinical law declared that she was unclean and therefore she couldn't touch him. But don't you love the woman's belief? I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm fairly put to shame by her belief here, that she hears about a Jesus who heals, so she goes and she finds, and she doesn't think, oh, I can't because I can't touch him. She goes, if I just touch his garments, I could be healed. That's super encouraging and challenging to me. But I'm most... I'm most challenged by this. Because God only knows how much the people you work with have suffered. And God only knows how much the people who live next door to you and across the street, only God knows how much they've suffered. They may have shared some with you. You may know a little bit of their story, but only God knows how much they've suffered. And is it possible that though they work with you or they, they live on your street, that they've never heard about Jesus. Not, not Jesus as in a cuss word, not Jesus as in uh, what people talk about or ch not heard of church, that they've never heard about Jesus, the one who paid the penalty fully and completely for their sin. They've never heard about the Jesus of the scriptures. Is it possible? Oh, folks, it's probable. 
it's probable that in our culture, in our community, that though people would know the name of Jesus, many, 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 many of them have no understanding of the true gospel, the true gospel of Jesus. And everything hinges on this simple statement. She hears. Now, she believes, right? You and I have zero ability to control that one. But we have every opportunity to be involved with this one. To say, I have no idea. Only God knows how much people have suffered around me. Only God knows how hopeless they are right now. Only God knows what's going on in the heart and the mind. Even this, even this morning, a gentleman who attends here came up to me and said, you know, a month ago, I was really asking myself, would I do my family a favor by ending my life so they could collect the life insurance? No, that's, see, that, that's not just cheer up, buddy. That's, that's hopelessness. That's when you feel like all you've got in life is no, 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 no. And he said, a few weeks ago, when you taught Jesus in the storm, and the disciples waking Jesus was not a problem, it was a remind, it was that they had thought he didn't care, and he said, I remembered again, God cares for me. See, we don't know what's happening. Only God knows. But we have the incredible privilege to speak the words of the one who can change their lives, who can give hope. Maybe they've heard and they've forgotten. Maybe the nose of life, the dimmer switch has caused, been so long, they just feel like it's not true anymore. We get the privilege after hearing about Jesus. That is such a powerful phrase. So Thursday, I was super encouraged. Somebody sent me an email and said, Doug, I woke up this morning. I was so compelled by the Lord to write out my testimony and to write out what I believed about the gospel and the evidence for what I think there is regarding what the, Bible saying, what the Bible says is true and what Jesus' claims are true. I wrote it all out, and I sent it to every person in my family and every person who I work with in my business, and his business is international. He said, I sent it to everybody, and, I, and he sent it to me, what he had written, phenomenal. And he ended with, I'm not sorry this is so long, and I'm not sorry it's so blunt. This is exactly what I want you to know. Now, that may be a challenge to you. I'm not saying every one of you should do exactly what he should do, what he did. I am saying we have people around us who only God knows how much they've suffered. And what may be hinging for them is hearing about Jesus. Let's ask the Lord, how can we tell them? 
Maybe it is an email. Maybe it's a lunch. Maybe it's a letter. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a conversation over coffee. But what a difference for this lady. (laughs) After hearing of Jesus. She hears, believes. See, in the midst of this phenomenal encounter, I am reminded that within Jacksonville, within our country, within our world, there are actually none, not, not diminishing what they feel, or the nose that they've experienced, or where the dimmer switch is that they feel, but there are actually none in this community without hope. None. There are none. There are only those who haven't heard. Do you, do you catch, capture what I'm saying? There are only those who have not heard, or have heard but not believed. But but you and I can't do anything, and I'm not being flippant about it. We can't do anything about the believing part. It's not our responsibility. But our incredible privilege is to be the instruments through which people can say, I've heard about Jesus, and then I believed and found hope when I was hopeless. After hearing, she believes. And, And when she believes transformation takes place. Verse 29, immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her her affliction. Why did she feel that? Because she was. Her body literally told her, you're healed. She didn't need to wait. She knew it immediately. She felt in her body what she had not felt for 12 years. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? So when she reached through, it must have been more of like a tug. Who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing on you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. So in other words, he looked around and there was one person. Right? They made icon. And I love the fact that in this moment, though, there's a large crowd. The disciples are going, oh, man, we couldn't know that. There's two people who know what's going on. Jesus and this woman's gone. They make eye contact. And he's going, I know what happened. And she's going, I know what happened, too. I can feel it. It's phenomenal. Woman fearing and trembling of where it had, what had happened to her. She, remember, not like Jairus had approached from behind, reached through and touched his garments. Now she came and fell down before him. And she tells him the whole truth. Oh, Jesus, it was 12 years ago. I would have never imagined. I just started, but I didn't know what was going on. I went to the doctor, the doctor started, and then I paid, and he came around, and then I went to this other doctor, and then, and then I went to this other doctor, and, and, there was, and I ran out of money, and then somebody, and then I heard about you. I thought if I just reached through, and I'm healed. 
So Jesus not only hears the story, everyone around gets to hear what's happened to the woman. It makes me wonder, again, the text doesn't tell us, but I genuinely wonder, did the, is the person who told her about Jesus there? Because if they are, they're the second, well, maybe the third, minus behind Jesus and the woman, they're the third happiest person in the crowd, right? I mean, folks, ask yourself, have you ever had the privilege of being the person that told someone about Jesus and having hearing they believed and their lives were changed. Have you ever had that? There's no joy like it. If you haven't had that privilege, that opportunity, then ask yourself, am I telling anybody so that they would believe because they can't believe unless they hear? So the woman hears and goes and touches, and they look. Yes, it's me. She comes around, tells the whole story. And then what he says to her, daughter. See, that's better than name. Daughter, your faith has made you well. And then what? She hadn't done that for a dozen years. She hasn't had a moment of peace. Go, go in peace. Walk away totally different, not just physically. Walk away totally different in every way. Walk away different than the way you came. Go in peace. Be healed of your affliction. <laughs> see, see what I mean? The light never shines brighter than it does in the pitchest black. So her, the hopeless made new. The incurable, the incurable is healed. In the midst of all that's happening, and I love this story because there are so many things going on at, at every moment. The incurable is healed. Jesus did for the woman what no other doctor could do. Jesus did for the woman what money couldn't buy. But it'd been a long haul. And as I was wrestling with this text, I was just struck by the fact that, that as we've been going through these Jesus encounters, we've had opportunity on, on many occasions to see Jesus heal. And we haven't just kept it in story form. We have on a few occasions now invited where there's a need for healing for people to stand and, and to pray and to ask. And God has worked. God has not healed everybody immediately. And sometimes we can think, well, we've asked. And he didn't. And I, I just, you know, that kind of hurts. I don't want to ask again. It's that part of that spiraling downward, even there. So I want to encourage you this morning. If you have asked the Lord, Lord, would you super, God of miracles, would you do a miracle in my body or the 
one of my family members, would you bring healing and you've asked and he has it, be encouraged. Don't stop. A woman went 12 years and then whatever, for whatever reason, I won't be able to figure it out for whatever reason. At that moment, that's when God says, I'm going to cross your path with the path of Jesus and be healed. So don't stop. In fact, I just don't have it in me to teach this text and not have us pause and say, if you have need for God to supernaturally intervene, let's ask him. So I won't ask you to stand this time, but if, if by a show of hand, you would need physical healing or some relational healing, just show me your hand and I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray together. You can keep your hand up if you like. Over in South, yeah. Father, we are not demanding, but we are believing and therefore asking. You, the God of miracles, who does the impossible, who cures what humans declare uncurable, that you take body organs that have stopped functioning and you start them and you take diseases that are present and destroying and you remove them. You have done it and we ask you to do it again. In fact, I want to invite you as an expression of your own faith, just quietly there in your seat, if you raised your hand or even if you didn't, but you need a supernatural intervention of God, would you just quietly, but would you just tell him what you need, what you would ask him, and that you believe that he can heal you, that he can restore you. God, to the praise of your glory, to the fullness of of your joy. I do pray that you would move supernaturally in your body. That people, men, women, would right now feel in their body, Jesus has touched me, healed me. We trust you. We ask you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Not only is she cured of what was incurable, she's noticed. The outcast, the ostracized, is noticed. By whom? Who notices her? The disciples, right? No, actually, they don't. They want to rush by her. It doesn't say it in the Mark specifically, this language, but the parallel passage in Luke chapter 8 says, and the woman realizing that she had not escaped notice, specifically the notice of Jesus, that's why she comes around and bows before him. That is so powerful because, don't miss this, it, if the woman would have reached through the crowd, touched his garment, and felt in her body healing, and gone home, that would have been a great day. 
But the 12 years of her physical bleeding had not only impacted her physically. And so Jesus' restorative work in her life is more than physically. He notices her, and because he notices her, then she comes around and bows now face-to-face with him, and she speaks her story. The healing that Jesus is working in her life is well beyond bleeding, stopping. That is why, even as we just prayed, It's more than physical healing that we often ask the Lord for, for his supernatural intervention. But I'm challenged by what Jesus does that his disciples don't. Because I want us to know this very clearly, that if we've trusted in Jesus to be our sin bearer, to be our savior, that the Bible says he has poured his spirit into our hearts that he has wrapped himself in our humanity so that we are, in some sense, the body of Christ now. As the Father sent him, he is now sending us. That we would be the presence of Christ. That's why we talk about going into our communities and people experiencing Jesus, being the hands and feet of Jesus, because we are his body. His spirit dwells within us. And there is something profoundly powerful when we as the body of Christ do what Jesus did and not overlook people, but notice. Notice people that other people walk by. That's Jesus living in us. And folks, watch. It's almost, not always, but it's often a shifting of the shoulder. What I mean is we all have the people that we talk to, the people that we know, the people that we hang with. But every single one of us has been in one of our auditoriums or out in the courtyard talking, and there's been someone on the fringe. And what that person has experiences in that moment is whether there's a shifting of the shoulder or not. The simple, I'm inviting you in. The reaching out of a hand that says, I don't think we've met. I am. Because there's something very, very powerful about noticing and something profoundly damaging about visiting a church the body of Christ and the shoulder never being shifted and going unnoticed. One of the deepest burdens of my heart is that we would be the presence of Christ by the simple but powerfully transforming work of noticing the people that God has placed around us. The simple turning of the shoulder, the inviting people into our conversations, the inviting of people into our groups. No, we got our group. We like our group. The saying, we love our group and we'd love for you to be a part. That's Jesus. Jesus noticed. His disciples didn't. Incredibly, 
we're more like the disciples than we are Jesus at times. And the noticing, this is what I want us to understand, the noticing is part of the healing. See that? What Jesus does in this moment is part of the restorative work that he's doing in the woman's life. And the silent then is given a voice. The silent, the, the one who, who wasn't like Jairus, who, who didn't go up in front of Jesus and said, hey, here's my story, please heal me, who was willing to quietly and anonymously reach the, no, Jesus says, no, and she speaks and tells her story. You see, when, when you and I are made new in Jesus, he gives us a voice. And sometimes I chicken out. So when the sun's about to go down Monday night, of the day Irma went through, and our power's, of course, gone, and so we have our doors open, and uh, we hear a lady outside going, Hey, hello, hello. Can we come in? And it's channel four. And so my wife goes, yeah, come on in, come on in, yeah. So she comes in, and her cameraman comes in, and, well, we just want to take some pictures. So they come out, and they come to our back porch, and, and they're taking pictures of the flooding. And then she goes, well, could I interview you? And I was like, I'm out of here. Literally, I, not, not, I didn't just think it. I, I literally was walking away because I, I saw her with that microphone and I had zero interest in doing that. And my wife says, oh, no, 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 come back here. <laughs> so he goes, you know me, I say something stupid and then be all over TV. So you talk to him, which I have equal, I had zero interest in that. But I got to tell you, I had already prepared this message for last week, so I should have known. But the Lord gave me a, was giving me an opportunity to speak truth and hope, putting a microphone and saying, we'll broadcast it across the city for you. Oh, no, I don't want to have anything to do with that. <laughs> what a chicken. Seriously. I, I hate that. I was, and I was nervous. And Jackie said, you, you sounded nervous. <laughs> I was. <laughs> That's why I didn't want to do it. But folks, what a whiff by me. Now, thankfully, by my wife's prodding, I came back and, and I did share and I did talk about hoping none of that got on TV. Um, but I got to share with her and the cameraman heard and other people went, oh, thanks. You actually, in the face of it, you actually reflected hope. That was encouraging, but I'm really, I was really struck afterhand and I want to be struck beforehand, not afterhand with what a great opportunity the Lord was giving me to have a voice and I was chicken. 
so I doubt I'm the only chicken around here. When the Lord gives us opportunity, whether it's just one-on-one, he gives us a voice to tell our story, to tell about the God we have hope in, the one who, who has the wisdom to choose what's best, the love to choose it, and the power to, to talk about the God we have hope in. Let's take it. Because it, it's made me just recognize again, you know, a hurricane takes a bunch of stuff away, but gives us an opportunity to declare what really matters in life. To my wife's credit, when my neighbor said, so what you going to talk about this Sunday? And he didn't say it in a mean way. He was like, so I just want to know what the sermon's going to be this Sunday after all this. And Jackie goes, I don't know what he's going to say, but I know what I've learned. I've learned that it doesn't matter what man builds or what man attempts to try to do and to protect. There's nothing that can stop the hand of God. Good sermon. Way to go, babe. (laughs) But it's given us opportunity. Let's not chicken out on it. They're not over yet. The opportunities are here. And God has given us a voice, just like he gave that woman a voice. Maybe my favorite part in the text, though, is that he calls her daughter. It's just, I know this sounds really feminine of me. (laughs) This just is super, super sweet. Because to call her name, to name her in that moment, that would be personal. But to call her daughter goes beyond personal. It's, it's, it's Jesus saying, this is the ultimate turning of the shoulder toward you. I'm not just recognizing you. I am making you part of the family. That's profoundly powerful. And then he says to her, what's he say? Yeah. He says, Go like you haven't gone in a dozen years. Go home at peace. Go home in peace. Now, let me make sure I'm clear here. There's peace with God. That's what Jesus has made for us. And don't miss that what this woman experienced from Jesus is what you and I can all experience. We all have an incurable disease called sin, and we deserve the wrath of God. And Jesus has paid the penalty so that we can, trusting in him to be our forgiver, as she trusted him to be her healer, we can be forgiven. We can be saved. Do you see that? We can. If you have not trusted in Jesus to be your forgiver, as she trusted him to be her healer, I invite you to do that this morning. That is how we become at peace with God. But then there's something dramatically different than to go home in peace with your heart at rest, regardless of your circumstances, trusting in the God who loves you. So that's simply what I hope you'll ask yourself. Number one, are you at peace with God? Have you trusted in Jesus? And second, regardless of what you're going home to, would you go in peace with the God who loves you? Because he could not love you 
more. How do I know? The cross. The cross is the demonstration that he could not love you more. So that's where I want us to focus. I'm going to invite the men to come and pass some elements. If it's new to you in both auditoriums, we'll be taking the Lord's Supper. There's going to be a a tray with some, it's hard to say now because it's really not bread. And you may go, hey, we changed it. Honestly here, seriously, we have had over time more and more people who can't take the Lord's Supper because of gluten allergies. And so we have gone to uh, something that will allow somebody who is gluten intolerant to be able to take the Lord's Supper with us. So take the piece. It's a tortilla, let me just tell you. It's a gluten-free tortilla. Take it as a reminder of the body of Christ. Broken. So that you, and only God knows how much you were broken, so that you could be healed. And a cup, the juice reminder of the blood of Jesus, that through him, your sin would be forgiven. So that you could be called as she was called, a daughter of God, a son of God, trusting in him. So as the elements are passed, that's what I want us to declare together. That through faith in Jesus, we are sons and daughters of God.
elements in your hand are the demonstration of God's love for us. The scripture says, but God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That he who gave his only son and didn't withhold him from us, he couldn't love us more. How will we not freely with him give us all things. When things are hard, when circumstances go bad, there will be those who say, see, where's your God? If God loved you, that wouldn't have happened. That tree wouldn't have fallen there. If God loved you, that wouldn't have flooded. Don't believe the lie. The greatest expression of God's love is not where water goes or where trees fall. The greatest expression of the love of God is in the giving of his son to be our savior so that we could have life eternal, life abundant, and hope, hope, regardless of the circumstances. And so with gratitude, for a God who loves you perfectly. I invite you to take the elements. Now I invite you to stand and let's declare together that we believe in him who is the truth.
close to the Father's heart. Do you know why he can't forsake you? Because when you trusted in him, he poured his spirit into your heart. And to forsake you would mean he'd have to forsake himself. And he can't forsake himself. He's made you one with him. Daughter, son, child of God. And so we have hope, great hope, and a great privilege to be able to be a part of other saying, we heard about Jesus. Would you go in his strength and in his joy and in his peace with him on your lips? God bless.